MSW Media. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show, what we're drinking, or what I'm drinking anyway, and you're encouraged to join me in responsible fashion, is Rabbit Hole. If you've listened to this show before, you've heard me say that Rabbit Hole is one of my go-tos for American whiskey. They make bourbon and rye in very small batches. We're talking about 15 barrels or less here. That amazing distiller they have smack dab in the middle of downtown Louisville, Kentucky. It's a place that is truly one of the architectural icons of the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Now, Rabbit Hole's recipes were created by their founder, a guy by the name of Kava, who's one of my favorite people and one of the coolest guys in the bourbon business. He's been on this show before. I've done his Instagram live show, Kava's Bourbon Bunker. I had a great time doing that. And what I love about Kava is that he and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon right. They've got their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains to do it. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does, okay? Okay, you don't see that a lot, but you see it at Rabbit Hole. And the result is a line of whiskeys with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've really tasted. And it's like this high gold I got right here, the high gold Kentucky straight bourbon. I'm sipping it right now. Mm. Mm. Over a little ice. I like my bourbon over a little ice when I'm doing a podcast. But trust me, friends, I know you come here for the info for the 411 got to try rabbit hole it's the best speaking of instagram live i i also was on one recently hosted by jean charles boisset amazing vintner and it got me to thinking about an interview i'd done with jean charles boisset for my former podcast drinky fun time and also joining us for that interview was one mr john legend I'm going to roll that out for you today. I'm feeling a little nostalgic. I'm going to roll that interview a little bit later on in this program. This is our 86th episode of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. I launched this podcast in June of 2019. Does that sound right? Yeah, June of 2019. About eight months before the spit hit the fan. Of course, I'm talking about COVID-19. And up to that point, we were releasing one episode of Drinky. Why do I keep saying Drinky fucking fun times on my brain now? One episode of what we're drinking per week. In the six plus months since, not only have we continued to do the show, we've increased the frequency to two shows per week. And I want to apologize right now to anyone we've offended by doing so. Oh, I'm sure there are lots of you out there. At its core, this is a show about drinking, a celebration of wine, spirits, sometimes beer, not often, but sometimes beer. Another key aspect, at least when we started the show, was the social element. 
going out to bars and restaurants, traveling to wine country or distilleries, chatting with the owner down at your local liquor store. Basically the stuff that we aren't doing now or shouldn't be doing anyway. With all that off the table, I try to focus on the people, the celebrities, bartenders, brand owners, influencers, etc., who I mostly now meet with over Zoom. And also hopefully offer some helpful suggestions on booze for your home bar and share some clever, appealing anecdotes from time to time. There are times when doing this show is a struggle. Don't get me wrong. A, I greatly appreciate that I still have a gig. B, that it's one that doesn't put me in harm's way. And C, that the gig revolves around consuming substances that usually, and in short order, make me forget that I was even struggling in the first place. But doing something that was always intended as sort of a companion to a lifestyle that has largely disappeared for now requires a fair degree of magical thinking and willful ignorance. Fortunately, I'm pretty good at employing both. I bring this up because I guess I, I just want to acknowledge the elephant in the room, the one that keeps taking giant dumps on us. Look, this is likely the most challenging error that any of us have experienced. I know it is for me, but here's the thing. Throughout human history, there have been many periods that were way worse than this. For instance, history buffs out there may recall the time that much of the world went dark for a full 18 months to two years when Europe, the Middle East, and parts of Asia were enveloped in a cloud as a result of a volcanic eruption in Iceland. This thing spread ash across the northern hemisphere, blocked out the sun, causing temperatures to drop, it killed the crops, and lots and lots of people died. It was, you might say, the literal dark age. And yet, humanity survived. And those people didn't even have Netflix or Drizzly. So obviously we've got a leg up. Okay, so things are the shits right now. But if my mother taught me one thing about shits, it's this. Sure, you gotta take them, and then you wipe it all away and flush it. So here's to the day when we finally get to watch this shit go swirling away down the toilet. Mm. Okay then, who's ready to hear about some booze? Please, calm down. Stop now. Crowd goes wild. So I finally got around to trying Sincoro tequila. Might have heard of it. It's a brand co-founded by five fellow NBA owners. You got Amelia Fazilari and Wick Grousebeck of the Boston Celtics, Wes Edens of the Milwaukee Bucks, and Jeannie Buss of the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, and a fellow you might have heard of who owns the Charlotte Hornets by the name of Michael Jordan. Yeah, that guy. Be like Mike. So he launched this a year ago this month, Sincoro. And I've been meaning to try it, but I'm a busy guy. It is an award-winning tequila. It's gotten a lot of medals. They got the Blanco, scored 91 points for with wine enthusiasts. The Reposado won double gold, which is the highest honor or one of the highest honors at the 2019 San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Their Añejo expression was named Tequila of the Year at the 2019 New York International Spirits Competition, also a big one. Departures Magazine gave them some, you know, everybody's praising this tequila. But none of those plaudits matter here, right? Do they? No. The big question is, does Sincoro get the what we're drinking seal of approval? And the answer is 
Yes! Oh, there they go again. Oh, please, folks. Come on, calm down. Everybody. All right. Look, I'm skeptical about vanity spirit brands for the most part, but when I drank Sincoro, I was immediately reminded of one of life's truisms. Don't ever, ever, ever expect anything but the best from MJ. Score. Three-pointer. Slam dunk. What other analogies can I apply here? So I'll just give you my my notes. I tried the I tried them all, but the añejo are the, the one I really really enjoyed, and it's got this cinnamon flavor, some cocoa, vanilla. It's got a very rich mouth feel, just the right amount of alcohol bite on this tequila. I'll give you the prices here. It's not cheap. The blanco seventy dollars a bottle, ninety for the reposado, one hundred and thirty for the añejo, and finally the extra añejo which I didn't have $1,600 a bottle. It's yeah, $1,600 a bottle. Speaking of the bottle, it was designed by a guy named Mark Smith, who is uh, the vice president of innovation special projects at Nike. He's a designer and he has worked side by side with Michael Jordan and all things Jordan brand designing the shoes. He's, he's a, he's a kind of a legend in the sneaker business, certainly in the apparel business and the bottle. It's a good looking bottle. It's real sleek, contemporary. It's shaped like an agave leaf. It's got a five sided base to it, two 23 degree angles. And if you were to st- 23, you know, the number Jordan. So if you stack 23 bottles on top of each other, it makes a perfect circle. Same size as center court. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't it? Stay thirsty, my friends. That's a different kind of alcohol. I think we should get to this John Legend, Jean-Charles Boisset interview. I'm excited about it. Been a while. So let's do that right now, huh? Well, I'm here. I am in Beverly Hills with Jean-Charles Boisset and John Legend... And we're drinking some wine. It's LVE. Yes. Uh, fantastic. Uh, John, tell us a little bit. Of, cheers. Let's get a cheers, by the way. Yes. We're, we're drinking, we're drinking a rosé. Yes. Tell us a little bit, uh, John, about how this whole thing came about. Well, we've been working together for several years now. Uh, our first um, release was a Cabernet from 2013 and a Chardonnay from 2014. And we came together because I had been interested in doing a wine company and uh, starting my own wine brand, and I wanted to find the perfect collaborator. And my uh, one of our friends started working with Jean Charles, and he knew that I was looking for a partner in the wine business, and he said, I found the perfect partner for you. You're going to love this guy. He's got so much charisma and energy. His uh, Raymond Vineyards is highly respected around the world. Jean Charles is highly respected around the world as a great proprietor, and you're going to love making wine with this guy, and you guys are going to do something really great together. So we met. We hit it off immediately. Did you, did you go there when you met? Yes, we did. did. What did you think the first time you walked in that winery? Because it's a, it's it's very non-traditional. It's quite an experience. Winery. It's the how would you describe? I mean, the the there's mannequins hanging from the ceiling. Yes. The art is phenomenal. It's, it's, it's an art installation. Well, I've been to his home too, so it's very reflective of Jean Charles's own personal taste and his energy and his charisma. It's all through the winery. You can see it in in the way he decorates the place and the way he entertains his guests and. My personality is quite a bit different. I'm a little more subdued and subtle. (laughs) But I think the two of us together, our energies work out very well together, and we've come together to create something really cool. 
So you you grew up in Ohio. Yes, I did. Did you? It was your. Uh, by the way, it's funny. People don't realize this. You know, you think Ohio wine, but actually, the first commercially successful winery in America was in Ohio. I didn't know that. Yeah, in uh, outside of Cincinnati. Yeah, a guy named yeah. Nicholas Longworth. Yeah. I grew up uh, yeah. an hour and a half north of Cincinnati. Yeah, right, Springfield. In Springfield, right? Ohio. Yeah. And I lived in New York most of my adult life, and then I've been in California the last few years. And uh, well, you hey, you also went to the University of Pennsylvania. I did. I'm from Philly. I went to Temple. There you go. And, uh, yeah, man. So we we got fly that. eagles fly. Fly eagles fly. <laughs> did you have your? Did you have a? Did you grow up in a in a uh, household where wine was something that was enjoyed? Was it? Not where, where much. Did you get your life? Your my love? parents weren't much with uh, much drink uh, with drinking. They didn't drink much at all. They were very religious, and pretty much communion was when they drank. <laughs> <laughs> but um, once I kind of went out on my own, I started to travel a lot. I started to go to a lot of great restaurants, and wine was always a part of some of my favorite experiences. Sure. And I also thought that wine went really well with my music and, and just my personality and who I am. And so uh, it became a very integral part of the way I enjoyed life and the way I enjoyed uh, travel and the way I enjoyed restaurant experiences. Uh, and so I fell in love with it more as an adult than, uh, than at a younger age. Do you have a preference for so uh, Raymond's up in Napa Valley? Do you yes. have a preference for California wine versus old world wines? We love California wine. We've uh, chose to work with uh, Jean Charles and the team at Raymond because we love Napa Valley wines, and we're happy to make those. But we also have traveled a lot to Europe. We've been to the south of France. We've been to to uh, Bordeaux and Burgundy. We've been to uh, we've been to um, uh, Tuscany a lot and. Some of our favorite experiences have been in places like that, going to great restaurants, having great food, and having great wine from that region. Okay. And John Charles, when, when, when John comes to you yes. with this idea, we're going to do this, stylistically, do you immediately start thinking of ideas for how the wine, what kind of a wine, well, just from meeting him personally? Absolutely. The, the first and most important for us was really to become friends, because luckily, you know, a lot of people in Hollywood, a lot of people in the acting world, music world is contacting us to make wine. Yeah. We've been making wine for 22 centuries combined with all our wineries, so we were not necessarily interested unless we became as close as we have. And that's why I have a ton of respect for John, besides being an amazing artist that he is, genuinely loving wine, knowing what he wanted, and very good at wine tasting. So when we spent a lot of time together, the first few times, we talked about wine, but it was not the number one objective. And it was really having a great feel and a great fit and, and having that magnetic relationship that really creates a great understanding of what John likes and wants. And very luckily for me, I'm very similar to John as well as being a romantic and loving you know, the romance of the music and the wines and the celebration. John really wanted to create a wine very harmonious and fully symbiotic to his music and who he is. So it's the type of wine I love myself. So we started to play making wines together at Raymond, you know, in the blending room. And had you had any experience at this point, John, with, with actually production of wine? No, never, okay. never before. Okay. Um, and I was lucky, really, to find the perfect partner to do this with because I wouldn't want to do this without an expert uh, guiding me and, and teaching me and, and um, really wanting to collaborate with me in this way. And I was so lucky to find John Charles as a partner. Well, and the beauty, you're very kind to say, first, an expert is someone who knows how to be wrong with a lot of authority. <laughs> so, you know, often we say, as you know, Dan, the more you taste, the less you know. What was very refreshing for me is I look into always learning and always feeling that I'm progressing. And 
here it was not the size of the project, it was not necessarily the scope of the project, it was really doing something together that I thought would really reflect what John wanted to do and what we felt made sense for us to do. So John was, as we were tasting, kept going back to the piano, playing music, tasting wine, and said, what about if we do this, we do that. So what I really enjoyed that, that first time we actually really blended together, John had a fantastic palate. I've been tasting wine since I'm literally two years old sure. and making wine since I'm six or seven, so I've seen millions of people tasting with me. I knew John had that talent. He had that vibrational chord within him as an artist and a great musician with a lot of sensibility. There must have been some sort of a symbiotic relationship there yes. between what you were uh, tasting and what you were feeling well, with the music. Like I said before, I always believed that my wine and my music and wine always go, went together. I always felt like that uh, as we're listening to me in this room right now. Yeah. Um, I always felt like they went really well together and a lot of my fans uh, would tell me that and, and sometimes we even have shows at wineries and just the whole experience of that felt like there was a relationship between the wine and the music and so we explicitly embraced that idea of a relationship between them when we were making the wine. What was it like for you when you popped that cork on the first bottle? I was so proud. I was so proud of everything from the taste of it. Um, I was so proud to share it with my friends but also the bottle itself. I think we designed as a team a really beautiful bottle for each of the wines. Yeah, this, this one's mine. gorgeous. This uh, this is the new rosé you yes, got here. Exactly. Just released today. Released right? today on the first day of summer. And yeah, it looks great. And I got to tell you, it's 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 the style of. Will you talk a little bit about the style of, of this rosé? Absolutely. But but maybe Dan, just um, just something else to add. When John said we want to do a cabernet, he really defined the cabernet through the music he played in the red room to the wine he wanted. We went to the blending room and he really guided us in the process. I want to make sure you, you know that because we were fascinated with the partnership and creating this relationship because John knew what he wanted. So many people have come to me and said, just make a wine for me. Put my name on it. Yeah. And I'm not interested in that because yeah. we do it already and we do it successfully already with all our wineries. So I didn't need anything but someone who would add something to the overall. So, as, as obviously you cover a lot of great wines as well produced by people from here in Hollywood, I think what John really did, he created as well with us a wine that fits in our portfolio that we did not yet make. That was, that's why I was very excited. So the cap is rich and powerful, but has a lot of romance and is a very long, silky, velvety wine. The red blend is extremely, extremely powerful with a lot of Petit Syrah in it. By the way, where is it right now? Well, we're going to try it. We're going to try You're it. making me thirsty. Well, yeah. exactly. And then John wanted a Chardonnay for his entertainment that he could have as an aperitif with Amuse Bouche as he plays for his friends, as he describes his moment with Chrissy. And, and we really developed the wines to really reflect John and his lifestyle. And I'm so proud of it because this is really all about LVE more than just about Raymond or JCB. It's what John wanted to create and he was very involved to the point that every single wine is not bottled unless John signs at the bottom of the page and tells us, you know, go here and go there. So it has been a very heavy collaboration in every sense. And unless John says, I want it that way, we, I don't want to do it. So same here. 
So to answer your question on the yeah. Ovie Rosé, we've been making Provence for a long time. And John said last year, Jean-Charles, you know, I love Rosé. Shall we do a Rosé? And I said, if you don't mind, John, I would rather have us collaborate on a Provence south of France, which is extremely trendy and reflects who you are, more than a Napa Valley Rosé. Sure. So we basically sent John 20 different samples mm -hmm. of different wines. And we wanted him to do the exercise on his own. And then we did it together. And he did the pre-selection. Then we went together in Napa Valley and pre-selected again. And then he finalized it himself, saying, that's the one I want. This is the one. And what, what, what was it about this style that appealed to you, John? I love the color. I love the... Did you say, it's a, yeah, it's kind of a very light... Yeah. A very light... Light it's salmon not, it's color. Not, it's very light salmon, exactly. It's not that... You're not getting yeah. that... There's no sweetness to it, That's really. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very light. And I wanted it to feel like something you could drink all day and during the day and not feel like you were weighed down by it. So the lightness, the crispness, the... And the, there's a little bit of bite to it, too. Uh, it's really just... It's so... I'm so proud to, to just serve it to my friends. My, uh, I have people over all the time. We do barbecues all, often. We do like little daytime parties, uh, birthday parties for Luna, whatever. And we serve my wine all the time. And I wanted something like this to kind of complement the rest of the wines that we I made. can't wait to come over <laughs> well, this next party. I'm and, excited. Man. Which is so what exciting is, is, you know, John as well describes strawberry. Apricot, white peach, which is very delicate to get, and very f luckily we have this amazing vineyard, vineyards, plural in in the Provence region. So, as John described it on how he wanted to enjoy it, we have the perfect wine. So this is really Grenache based, Saint Victoire based, which is one of the most famous, as you know, you know a lot about wine yeah, yeah. areas in the Provence region. So we made a limited edition at first. Sadly, we don't have for everyone, but for a selective few, because we wanted to make sure that the wine was so precise to really represent what John exactly wanted. And, and as you could see, John and I worked very hard on a very unique bottle. We're the yeah. first one to actually have it. This is very reflective of the multifacets of the world, of the globe, of even a grape within. And that captures the light. It's a beautiful and bottle. And it reflects it. everywhere. So on John's piano, when he performs as he will today, you're gonna to see the bottle really being a multi-diamond facets mm -hmm. illuminating all of us. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. We're getting the uh, we're getting the finger here, not the actual finger. <laughs> not well, that John finger. Charles and John, man, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Great, thank you great so wine, much, and I'm excited for the rest of the day. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. How? Well, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash drinking. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair and your hair will take care of you.
This is Colin Donnell, and you are listening to my favorite podcast that begins with the letter W. Take that, Mark Marin. Yeah, take that, Mark Marin. I want to keep going with this. I'm going to keep going with this music thing. I got, I got some stuff. I can do some mixes here. Like, um, yeah, I like it. And maybe throw some bass in there. All right. And if I were to add some guitar, I don't know how this is going to go, but it could be all right. No, that doesn't work at all. Let's just keep this going. That's going to do it for this episode of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. I want to thank John Legend, Jean-Charles Boisset. Thank you. I invite you to follow me at the Imbiber. That's T H E I M B I B E R on Instagram and Twitter. Coming up might be the next episode. NFL legend Ronnie Lott, possibly NFL legend Charles Haley, and possibly another NFL legend. They're all coming here. We're going to be talking wine and football. And I miss you already, everybody. <laughs>